globe world fiber. Choo choo choo! Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Do we need to give a parental advisory for this? Men of Globe World Fiber, and they have all sorts of cool swag. And I'm Turk Reynolds. I chose moonshine today for my beers. All right, everybody, let's get swifty. Clicking furiously on my mouse. Kristen's doing it. That was cool. That was fun, guys. Hello and welcome to another cryptozoological episode of Men of Low Moral Fiber, the show that tries its best to lay off the swearing because we're trying to appeal to kids. So just keep it clean, okay? Uh, I'm your host, Ben Helms, and with me as always is my crime-fighting, pillow-stealing, John Muir-loving big brother, Jason Helms. How you doing, man? You know the thing that people don't realize about John Muir? Uh, is that in addition to being a naturalist and Mm. uh, really the reason that we have national parks and so much wonderful land in America, the guy was just nuts, just absolutely nuts. Um, And that's what I love so much about him. He used to climb trees just to feel the wind in his hair the way that trees do. Yeah. Yeah, man. Trees don't have hair, John. Yeah, they do. It's called leaves. (sighs) And we're, we're the hair on the earth's leaves. Wow. Man. Yeah, that's right. It gets deep on today's episode. Today yeah. we are talking about another Helms family favorite, Sam and Max Hit the Road. We've been playing this game for like a lot of these games, 20 plus years. Uh, hey, real quick, what is your, I know you have a lot of memories of this game. We both do. What's your first memory of this game? Uh, my first memory of the, the game, or at least the most vivid one from it, um, is turning the cat inside out, which, spoiler alert, okay. is wow. pretty great. <laughs> Happens in the um, first five minutes. But, but I mean, that stuck out to me. When I saw that, yeah. I was like, I need this game. This game I have to play. That was one of the, the few animated GIFs that I found that I sent to you and Sean yes. during this past couple weeks, which was just classic. Oh, quick minor uh, correction. It's actually pronounced GIF. but um, uh, just, It's actually yeah. from the creator of the GIF. It's pronounced GIF. From me not caring what that creator thinks, it's pronounced GIF. Yeah, no, actually, me not caring, it's pronounced GIF. That sounds so much better. I uh, love GIF. So, giraffical <clears throat> inter uh giraffe giraffe file exactly is that what it is God, traffic what an idiot anyway uh the peanut butter is not pronounced jiff it, wait oh dang it oh man yeah, yeah. it gets anyway. confused with pe- peanut butter this <laughs> is the greatest concern we have today we're talking about uh, all about hit the road uh we're gonna be talking about the history the making of that kind of thing uh then we'll get into some of the gameplay we're gonna bring in a guest uh, one of my good longtime friends uh sean marshall thompson uh, with whom we will also play a rousing game of What's the Beer, What's the Song? And finally, we'll end the episode, as usual, talking about next month's game. Uh, but this one is actually a, a recent game. It came out eight days ago. Uh, we are very stoked to uh, finally be playing it. We'll talk all about that game at the end of the episode. Actually, we'll talk all about that game next month. We'll tease that game right. at the end of this right. episode. We'll mention it briefly. <laughs> we haven't played that game yet. all about. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, so Sam and Max is much bigger than just... Sam and Max Hit the Road, the game that we've been playing this past month, right? It has a much longer history. Uh, the first time it entered print was in a comic book. Um, the first issue of the comic series was Monkeys Violating the Heavenly Temple. It's just a great name, not only a great name for a comic, but for the first like premier oh, yeah. comic of, of a series. Yep. Um, but it even has a longer history than the comic series. Uh, that's the first kind of public viewing of it. Uh, it was... Two characters that um, Steve Purcell's older brother Dave drew when mm-hmm. they were kids, yeah. And then uh, later, uh, Dave signed over the rights to uh, Steve as a birthday present because Steve was the one who kind of took them over and kept continuing them uh, throughout high school. Um, just out of art school, 
uh, Purcell went and uh, got Sam and Max published, some of the things he'd been working on on his own, and they're really, really great. Um, so I'm just going to pull randomly. Uh, this is certainly an inadvisable thing. I'm going to try to read a comic book, uh, transferring wow. something visual to the audio medium. Uh, we'll see wow. if it works at all. Interesting. Um, I love the idea of what the book that you just published a month ago and your dissertation are just oh, yeah. completely against what you're about to do. Absolutely. Get set for how if we could this take, will work. Not only do you want to add images to text, but you're literally taking the images away yeah. from text right now. Yeah. Fantastic. Yep, that's Fantastic. what's happening. And pretending okay. that it's the same thing. Yeah. Make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, thanks for, uh, thanks for understanding my dissertation listen, in my book. I listen sometimes. I love it. Um, so we're on the page, we're on the third page of this book. Readers have at best a uh, pretty hazy notion of what Sam and Max are and who okay. they are. Okay. And uh, there's a person snatching that Sam and Max see. And Max says, Ooh, looky, Max. I mean, Sam. It's the appalling visage of crime. <laughs> right under our beaks. What a pinhead. Does he not fear us? And in the next panel, they both pull out their guns. And Sam says, We must teach him, Max. Hey, where do you keep that gun? None of your damn business, Sam. Fantastic. And a, naked, of course, a naked bunny says this. A naked bunny says this. Uh, again, the visuals are so much better. I'd love to get into the fact that uh, <laughs> Sam's tie is draped not just below his shirt, but actually dipping out of the panel and into the next panel below it because Steve Purcell is a genius and we're all just living in his world. Um, but I can't, and I, I've ruined it. But the the idea is just go out and buy this comic because it's so great. So I think what Jason's doing right now is a very vivid uh, – illusion a very vivid illusion to the fact that sam and max is much bigger than this game and in fact it's so much bigger that we're going to do a special sam and max episode uh later this month uh mid uh mid april a couple weeks we'll do this um just a side quest about sam and max because we started doing the history of hit the road and the development of the game and that spilled over into oh what is sam and max and oh my gosh there's all these other comics that we knew about but we kind of got into the history of sam and max and steve purcell who also worked on fate of atlantis and worked at lucas arts for years and years before sam and max and it grew into this whole thing and then we talked to sean for like an hour and so we basically didn't want to make this a two-hour episode and so we're going to do a separate just sam and max overview side quest in a couple weeks look forward to that Today, we're just talking about Hit the Road as much as we possibly can. Uh, and a a yeah. quick preview of the media empire that is Sam and Max. I mean, this yeah. is not the last Sam and Max video game. There's multiple more video games, some of which so didn't even get made, but we've got scraps of. Uh, yeah. There's a cartoon. Uh, there's more books. Uh, it's it's really going to be fun when we get to, a chance to dig into this. Yeah, definitely. And we won't necessarily do all that in two weeks. We'll do some of that as future episodes and stuff. But yeah, we'll, we'll do an overview in a couple weeks. Uh, today, Hit the Road. Uh, basically, it started uh, Steve Purcell, creator, or I guess not the creator, but the owner of the IP, mm. uh, joined LucasArts in 1988 uh, as an artist and game designer. Uh, and he he basically had this comic going on. And after a couple games being there for four or five years, LucasArts came to Steve and they're just like, we like your comics and we want you to we want to make a game about Sam and Max. Right. Yeah, and Steve Purcell really was synonymous with LucasArts in a lot of ways. He was doing yeah. uh, a ton of the covers. Uh, like you said, he was doing the cartoons in The Adventurer. Uh, at the time, I mean, we would eagerly await the next installment of Sam and Max in The Adventurer oh because gosh, yeah. we were really, really nerdy. Right. Um, yeah, but it's still kind of an amazing thing given the IP that they'd worked with before. You know, uh, Monkey Island, Maniac Mansion, Zach McCracken, that's all original IP. 
and then working with indie, um, yeah. that's, you know, some IP that's got some weight and it's very different. So, so working with Sam and Max is a really interesting decision. Um, it's almost a recipe for a commercial disaster. I mean, it, it's, it's the kind of thing that you just don't feel like would get made now. Uh, and yeah. yet it's, it was really, really successful. This little indie like comic, almost like comic strip so small. Yeah. That they're just like, Hey, let's make into this giant adventure game that sold millions of copies. That's pretty great. Uh, but yeah, so hit the road. The, the game we played is based on the 89 Sam and Max comic on the road. Uh, which featured basically Sam and Max. Sam and Max are two anthropological uh, dog and rabbit or lagomorph um, who walk around fighting crime as two freelance police officers. Uh, But yeah, the game came out in 93. So in 92, this game started development, 91 maybe. Uh, And it's, it's all based on the scum engine that we've talked about, starting with Maniac Mansion, Day of the Tentacle, all the Monkey Island games were based on this, or the first couple at least. Uh, and it was designed by Sean Clark, uh, Michael uh, Stemmel, uh, Steve Purcell, and his future wife, Colette Mashad, all of whom also worked on the game that we covered last August, July, somewhere in there, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Yeah, uh, and the team worked together really well. We enjoyed Fate of Atlantis. That was a fun game. Yeah. Um, but Sam and oh, Max yeah. is next level. Uh, it's pretty great. Uh, and not just in terms of the humor and the story, the things that I'm you know raving about over here. But uh, also, there were some big updates in the interface. Uh, yeah. They got away from the verbs that obscured the bottom of the screen so there'd be more room for the art. Um, part of me feels like that's got to be that Purcell was really pushing for that in some ways in that he was the one who was drawing a lot of those backgrounds. Um, and yeah, and, in previous games, he was kept to just two-thirds of the screen because the yeah. bottom third was all verbs and, and your inventory. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is by moving it to the mouse wheel. Uh, so instead of choosing from verbs at the bottom of the screen, you would just mouse wheel between different icons uh, yeah. for the uh, the mouse pointer. Uh, the cursor would become a, a hand squeezing a squeezy toy to say use or an open that. hand to say pick up. Uh, things oh, like yeah. that. And we talk about that more with Sean as far as what was that like for a newcomer in his early 30s to kind of see that. And was that intuitive and, and whatnot? So we'll get into that later. But yeah, I think that the dialogue trees was another one that was overhauled. You think about the secret of monkey Island or I guess even day of the tentacle that came out the same year. It's usually, um, NPC says a, and then you are given a, B, C, D to pick from, right? And yeah. D is usually I'm done with this conversation. And this one, instead it's, you're given at the bottom of the screen, a question an excla- exclamation, exclamation point, uh, a rubber ducky, I believe was the other yep. one. That's kind of an odd phrase or something random to say. And then a hand waving goodbye. Yep. So similar setup, but also just kind of a less predictive. I think the line, uh, the line that I read, for the reasoning behind this, for, I think from Steve Purcell, basically saying that nothing would kill a joke worse than reading it before you you hear it. Which I love that yeah. idea that everything from Monkey Island, you're reading it, hoping that Guybrush says the line like you're thinking it in your head. Sometimes it's a little different. It's a little different, but it's usually the same punchline, obviously. Uh, but here, obviously, you're just clicking the rubber ducky and you know, you're going to get a funny line every single time. Yeah. And while the, uh, mouse wheel cursor, uh, interface was, uh, pretty influential and ended up being used in lots of adventure games after yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think the dialogue tree, uh, was as much from what I recall the gut, the, uh, games after this mainly use the standard dialogue tree, uh, especially the non LucasArts games that I recall, uh, stuck with a, a pretty standard dialogue tree. Yeah, that's true. The ones we've played after this, all right. This is definitely towards the end of the adventure 
games are, are getting towards the end. Then maybe the, the apex of the, the adventure yeah, games. The apex. I like that. Another thing about this game, I think we've said this about a few games that came out in 92, 93, but this was one of the first games to include full speech audio and score. So just like, again, Day of the Tentacle, a lot of similarities. These games were both published the same year. Uh, and so the fact that this had its own iMuse score meant that it was um, this revolutionary music engine at the time uh, by Michael Land, Peter McConnell, uh, Clint Bajankian. Bajankian. Yep, going with that one. Uh, I love it. They basically let the score evolve depending on where, what room you're in, what part of the story it was in, that kind of thing. It kind of... Uh, was never the same score throughout. It wasn't just one song on a loop, but it it changed depending on what location you were at, which now in 2017 seems like kind of an obvious thing. Every game has that. But right. in 1993, this was this revolutionary art that no no game had had before, which is shocking to me. Yeah, and I think um, one of the cool things here is I, I'm just imagining what it was like for Steve Purcell uh, to get a chance to do this, uh, to take his creations uh, and add voices, add a score, add interactivity, uh, and create something completely different to transfer them from uh, comics to a video game. Um, and in fact, he, he talked about it being a, a dream opportunity and something he's pursued since. Uh, one of the funny things about Steve Purcell, uh, Ben, I don't know if you ran across this in your research, he actually doesn't play video games. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and if he does play video games, it's like Mario Kart. That's fantastic. It's great. He's, he's not an adventure gamer. And he's like, no, but that doesn't matter. I understand story. I understand puzzles. I understand what, what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder what, I wonder. Yeah, I guess he's just, that was his art. That wasn't his, uh, his relaxation technique or the, his, his interest out, you know, extracurricularly. I wonder what that is. And, and just cards on the table. Like some of my research was done by finding German v- translations of interviews with people from this and getting them through Google Translate. So I may have hallucinated that, but yeah, I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. Interesting. And you know, something that we, we should mention, and I'm sure we'll mention on the, the Sam and Max special next week or in a couple of weeks, is that we had an opportunity to meet Steve Purcell eight years ago now? Yeah. Right, working for... Uh, 2009, I think. I think it's closer to 10. I think it was 2000, oh, 2008, maybe. Anyway, whatever yeah. it was, we met Steve Purcell at Comic-Con San Diego, I believe 2008, uh, working for Red Fence Magazine, uh, our friend, mutual friend, James Rowland, uh, who runs Red Fence, or ran Red Fence. And uh, who, quick plug, is the co-executive producer of Blood Drive, in the tradition drive. of Grindhouse Cinema, coming out in June. Good plug, good plug. Uh, but yeah, yeah, awesome guy. He gave us the opportunity to go and interview a lot of creators at Comic-Con, um, do some articles on some panels there. And we were lucky enough to hang out with Steve, ask him some questions, videotaped it. We'll try to find that original tape, too, and post it on the site if we can find it. But and again, listener, it's kind of uh, us. Listener, steady yourself for uh, Ben's reaction to this because I reached out to James Rowland yes. uh, to find out what had happened to the tapes. And uh, he said he threw them all away. <sighs> so those are gone. Those are gone. Um, but it's okay because we decided to do an interview outside because again, we were stupid and, uh, you couldn't hear anything thing on those tapes because of the wind. But we got to go to Comic-Con for free. Hey, we got to meet Steve Purcell. Also, you know who we met on that same balcony? We interviewed Steve Purcell while I think we were waiting for Steve Purcell. Kevin Smith walked by. So we got to shake his hand. Couldn't have been nicer. Yeah. Awesome guy. Not yep. a small man. Yep. Nope. No, no. Anyway, so 
<laughs> back to back to hit the road, which is all we're talking about today. Uh, I guess the only thing I have left is is the future of hit the road, the, the future games that weren't made. Did you have anything else on the making of of hit the road at all that we missed? No, let's let's talk briefly about the the future game and, and not about the telltale, not about where it actually no, went, no, 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 where it, where it could have. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I think it was more than just there's a lot of games that were like, oh, they were in future talks to make another Monkey Island or another whatever that, or another Day of the Tentacle. That was just it never happened. They actually developed the majority of another uh, game called Sam and Max Freelance Police. It was in 2002. They actually announced Freelance Police as a game coming out at E3 in 2003. Yeah. They announced the game. Uh, and I think they even they showcased it at E3. That's what it was. They showed a bunch of screens. They showed some of the gameplay. And There's later trailer, they, you got you got to watch like the first three or four minutes of gameplay, yeah. from what I recall. Because I was in college developed. and I was freaking out. This was the coolest thing in the world. Oh my, yeah, because you went from being 12 to, tw- to 22. When this, yeah, from when the original to this came out. So for being a kid, this being a developmental milestone in your childhood and your humor and everything to being an adult, but still a youthly adult, whatever 22 is to, yeah, uh, definitely this being a game that would, I, I don't think it's too much to say. It would change your life forever if it had come out. There, there are two heartbreaks <laughs> in my own, my personal video game history. Yeah. Um, and the first of them is, is going to be Sam and Max not coming out. I thought it was going to be uh, episode one. Sam and Max free, freelance police. Sure. Uh, no, my video game personal history. Oh, gotcha. Um, uh, the second one though, same time period would be Duke Nukem forever. First it getting delayed, delayed and delayed until it looked like finally it wasn't happening. Wow. Uh, but it really hit home when I bought it in 2010 in a discount rack. Cause I wasn't gaming much then Wow. Uh, when it actually did come out and, and plugged it in and played it. And then I actually had to play Duke Nukem Forever, and it was one of the worst video games I've ever played. And I went, wow. Oh, what was wrong with 12-year-old me? Yikes. Well, yeah, so it was a 3D-rendered game. Uh, it was all point-and-click, just like all the other adventure scum games. Uh, but Freelance Police was actually abandoned, I want to say 75% through. It was almost finished is what all the rumors I've I've read, all the articles I've read about it. Uh, but basically, it was Dave Grossman worked on it too with Steve Purcell. Uh, and later in an interview, Grossman described the sequel's highlight as a giant spaceship shaped like Max's head, which I guess we can only dream of now because that'll never come to be because LucasArts isn't a thing anymore. Uh, I would also but, describe that as my highlight. Yeah, definitely. I think it's just sad because apparently soon, I don't know how soon after exactly, but a lot of the developers on this game were were let go or soon left. Uh uh, LucasArts and a lot of them started Telltale Games soon after, which is where Sam and Max went after I think 2005 is when uh, LucasArts lost the licensing contract or when the, it expired with Steve Purcell. Uh, and so he just moved on over to the people he'd been working with uh, and started doing games with Telltale, doing Sam and Max games with Telltale Games, which is right in the period yeah. where we were able to interview him, heard of Telltale for the first time, 2008, 2009, somewhere in there. Yeah, and there are a lot of rumors that um, it was actually Max that said, you know, if you're not going to do the Sam and Max sequel, yeah, uh, then I'm going to bring your company down, and I'm going to bring it down from the inside. I think you're right. Um, so no, you know, I, I don't no, condone that, but he's pretty violent, and I understand yeah. where he's coming from. True, true, true. And I think that's kind of all we have in the development, the history. Anything else we're missing? No, I say let's get into the gameplay and let's talk to Sean. Sean, get over here. This is an interview with our special guest. We're going to ask him about the gameplay and what he 
And we welcome in now Sean Marshall Thompson. How is it hanging, man? It's going good. Coming to you live from Snoqualmie, Washington. Live recorded. That's true. As he said those words, they were live. That's true. Unfortunately, they're not broadcast live. Live at a time (laughs) that was a point in history. Yes. Oh, so true, man. He's a smart guy. We bring smart guys and girls on this podcast to talk about games. Uh, Isn't that right, Jason? That's absolutely right. Only the smartest for you, fine listener. I threw it to Jason just to prove to the listener that, yes, all three of us are here, and it's not just me and my friend Sean hanging out. I may have fallen asleep for a moment. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. no, welcome okay. back. Welcome back. Thanks. And, uh, Thanks. yeah, this is the this is the portion of the show where we talk all about the gameplay of the amazing Sam and Max. Spoiler alert. Amazing. If Jason yeah. and I haven't gushed enough about this in the intro, we enjoyed Sam and Max as children. So future future spoiler alerts for the rest of this. Um, we're going to cover every puzzle we can and every joke and um, just ignore them. Uh, just ignore all of this if you can. We're going to go through just all of them. Ignore them, Sean. Maybe they'll go away. Okay. Maybe they'll go away. <laughs> wow. Aww. Just bump set spike. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So, Sean, from an outsider perspective, you never played Sam and Max before, right? No. And and to be completely honest, I've never to this point played a LucasArts game. I am a nice casual fan of the pod. And yeah. uh, this was actually my first uh, LucasArts game that I kind of dove into. Um, I'm kind of a casual gamer. I've been kind of a casual gamer throughout my life. Never yeah. really hardcore or anything, but um, mostly just platforms and consoles. So Xboxes and PlayStation type games and N64s and Nintendo. So um, I've never been a computer gamer. So this was all really, really new to me. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, how was it just the getting downloading it and playing it. And obviously it's just so different than playing call of duty or Madden or whatever, as far as rather than 20 keys, you have 150 keys or whatever with a keyboard and a mouse and everything. How was that just getting used to playing a PC game for the first time in a long time? Yeah. The learning curve was unreal. <laughs> I mean, um, really? I think when you come from playing console games for 20 years now or whatever, you've yeah. gotten so yeah. spoiled with, Okay, here's the intro, and here's your character. Press like X to level. Press X to fight. Now you yeah. can strafe using the right trigger. Also, yeah. go talk to this guy. You'll get this from him, and then you'll need to go here. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like here's Sam and Max. Start walking around and figure stuff out. So it was, it was definitely even a little. Oh, keep going. Sorry. It was definitely a learning curve. But the yeah. first like ten minutes of the game, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. <laughs> No, that's true. Yeah, with we luckily we were able to do the first 45 minutes or so together, all three of us, um, which was really nice. Also really frustrating because it, it had been 15, 20 years since I played the game and it was similar for me. I don't know if it was for you, Jason, but it felt very disorienting to just jump in and there's no like right click to do this. There's no like anything. Even in the Monkey Island games, it gives you one thing at a time. If you just left click to talk to someone in the first Monkey Island, like you'll get a long way just doing that. This one, there's kind of a lot you have to do in that in your office when it first starts the game, and the right clicking was a little weird. Scrolling through all the verbs and everything, I don't know. It was a little, it threw me off for sure for a little bit. I have a really vivid and, and visceral memory mm. of this game, mm-hmm. and so the um, interface didn't throw me off at all. It okay. was it was right back to it. It was yeah, I saw right through it immediately, which was great. Um, nice. Some of the puzzles I remembered, some I didn't. Uh, yeah. Usually, I remembered the gag at the end, and so it was me kind yeah. of clicking around to be like, wait. How do I try and turn the cat inside out again? What happens there? Nice. Okay. 
I think most of my memory from this game was just watching you play it. Yeah. So I remembered a lot of the animations, a lot of the dialogue was really familiar, but I don't remember any of the puzzles. Yeah. So, yeah, it was definitely like playing a new game in that way, but very familiar. And I was thinking, we, we never beat the game. I was thinking of when we, how far we got, and I was, I was wondering, oh, maybe there's one puzzle at the end that maybe we didn't get to. It was maybe a third into the game is all I remembered. I, I, think, I think about maybe two-thirds. The, the okay. most I'll give us two-thirds, but I don't think I ever got to the Sasquatch um, party. I never got to Bumpusville. I know. I don't remember. I, got, I definitely like got that. to Bumpusville. Okay. I remember that. All right. Probably after um, I went to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. All right. So we should back up a little bit. Let's do, do an intro. Uh, Sean, let's, let's have you give an intro, if you will, and we'll interrupt you if we want to, <laughs> of just what are Sam and Max? Who are they? Why are they? <laughs> and kind of tell me about the game, just from like a story perspective, as much as you can from, from what you played. Yeah, definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but this is this is great. I actually practiced this yesterday because my wife was watching me play and she had a very like, I don't I don't understand what this is kind of face. And I said, I said, it's really simple. You have Sam and Max, a dog and a rabbit. Lagomore. Lagomore yeah. with yeah. some very sharp teeth, incisors as he would call them. Nice. They are freelance detectives, police, freelance police. Freelance police, yep, yep that have been given a mission to investigate investigate uh, Bruno, who is a Sasquatch that has gone missing from the carnival. Boom. Yep. That's a great yep. summary. Yeah. Killed it. it. Takes them on a kind of wild adventure literally across the entire country. Several times. Several times. And, and I'll just say the, uh, the canonical definition of Sam and Max is Sam is a canine Seamus and Max is a hyperkinetic rabbity thing. And I, oh, thank you for clearing so, that up. So Lagomorph, I mean, I mean, that's that's on on point. You know, that's right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I good. actually, spoiler. So the when he says I'm a Lagomorph, I actually didn't <laughs> know what up. that word was, and I went back and looked at it, and I said, "Awesome, that that's pretty on I, the nose." I yeah. vividly remember being in my uh, freshman biology class, and we're studying studying the phyla and the classes and all that stuff, and I saw Lagomorph, and like. I flipped out, it, I, but I couldn't explain to anyone why that was so funny to me. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I lost a lot of friends that day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure most of the people in your class were also had played Sam and Max since they were kids as well. Also got, we're getting the joke. I imagine I was just thinking about you guys playing this game and then imagine you like every couple of years or so as you got older would like learn something and then would start laughing since you finally understood the, the joke yes, years later. True. Dude, Very just true. the idea of freelance police. Yeah. Oh. So in the idea, I mean, this game came out when I was seven. So I was just that the, the idea that that would be a joke wasn't even a thing to me until I was like 20 years old. I was like, oh, that's not can even we, a thing. That's funny. Can we start by dis dissecting that? Sean, to the best of your knowledge, what is a freelance police? What, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, what comes to mind would, I mean, I guess in the most normal terms would be a PI, like a yeah. personal investigator. But yeah, and and I think that's totally the gag. Like what it is, they're they're clearly it's a it's a detective story. Yeah, it's a noir they're, film they're, kind they're of private thing, detectives. Yeah. Private yeah. investigators. They call themselves freelance police. Yeah, which is just the stupidest thing ever. It's so stinking funny. Yeah, I think the the way that I guess it's Steve Purcell and obviously the other writers, but mainly Steve who balance the adult humor with also not only is this a cartoon 
but it's also a game which was marketed towards kids. So it's like this. I don't know. They, they, there's a lot of adult humors and uh, humors, a lot of humors, and laughy laughs like in the comic version. Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of gut busting, and but they did a great job of not, um, I guess, alienating adults who play this. It's still hilarious, and it wasn't overly crude when I was eight years old playing this game. It didn't scar me for life. It wasn't. Was it Duke Nukem or uh, Wolfenstein yeah. that, mar- that scarred you for life? Yeah, probably Duke Nukem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even the, the the first line that Sam says, well, that was a pleasantly understated credit speak sequence. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, yeah. I can't tell you how many times a year Ben just looks at me and says, friends. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my gosh. It's still probably half the length of Day of the Tentacle. Yeah. Which is just insane. Um, yeah, so getting back to the gameplay, yeah, yeah. Um, Sam and Max works you know, pretty similar to the other scum games we've talked about, Day of the Tentacle, uh, Monkey Islands, Indiana Jones, all that. No verbs, though. Um, no verbs. So there are that a couple of innovations. Yeah. Um, one is the, the mouse wheel. Uh, you scroll through the different, um, or using right-click, you scroll through the different mm-hmm. uh, verbs, but they're, they're a little bit more abstract than that. So you, yeah. instead of use, you've got like a, a little toy that you squeeze, and open hand means pick up. Um, you know, things like that. So the interface is a little simpler, a little streamlined. Um, but, and that changes the, the gameplay slightly. Um, but I think the real kind of vibe of the game changes with the map of the U S. Mm-hmm. Um, cause the game in, in some ways is really about nostalgia and road trip nostalgia. You know, the game is called Sam and Max hit the road. Right. right. And it's all about these really, really schlocky tourist traps. Um, yeah. that's kind of the, the theme of the game, if there is one. Um, and so the way you play is you start in one location. Uh, and then whenever you go to your car, you can, you go to a different location. And as you solve new clues, uh, and you get, or you get new clues and solve puzzles, you get new locations added to your map to, uh, to go to, uh, meaning that you can always return to the old location. Um, but then the new ones kind of, it slowly layers on more and more places you can do more and more things you can interact with making it progressively more and more difficult because uh, there's so many different right. things you can combine. Yeah. Yeah, I think when, by the time I found the totems at the end, it was just overwhelming to, f- to look at all of the places, especially because, let's be honest, Sam walks really, really slow. Really <laughs> slow. There's no... I'm, I still have yet to find out what the first game was that you could just double-click and exit or like a side of the screen and it would instantly take you there. I think the next Monkey Island is the one where you could double-click and he walks twice as fast. Yeah. But man, there were so many times where I got to a location and it was just dreading walking across the screen through a room, through another room to find out that I didn't need to be there. Catching oh, the tram. Trying to catch the tram. Oh, the tram. Exactly. <laughs> get up there. Oh, get up the there. <laughs> There's so many times where I'd save it outside of a building just in case I needed to walk through the building for something and didn't need to be there just so I could load it and save two minutes of walking across the screen or whatever. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's faster to load. What's so funny is they spent so much time reworking the interface to get rid of verbs, to get the inventory, uh, to do all these things. And yet double clicking to speed up or pressing escape to skip an animation that you've seen a hundred times already. It didn't seem to occur to them. That that wasn't part of it. If you press period, it'll skip the animation or dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, not, not, it won't won't skip the walking animation. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. The big one. Yeah, just cutscenes and, and dialogue. I swear to God, one time Sam just slowed down even more to a crawl, then just turned out the screen you. and turned looked out of the screen and just winked at me. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my gosh! It was rough. Yeah. So I think what was the first place where you guys 
either had to use a hint or reached out to the group chat or, you know, something like that where you're just like, I have no freaking idea and I'm really frustrated. <laughs> Maybe not the first, but what was kind of one of the big ones for you? Um, the first one for me was just the concept of like having to put things together because that's oh, not yeah. really, ex- that's never explained to you. Like, right, the, right. I mean, yeah. And you have like 30 things in your inventory from a user experience point of view. This game has no onboarding whatsoever. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's, right, right. that's a good point. You're just like play the game and figure it out and go have fun. I think there's so many points in the game where you realize you can do something and you're like, Oh, that totally opens up a whole new, like picking something up. And then you have this inventory and you're like, Oh, I can not only give these things to people. I can also combine them to do things together. Yeah. Totally. Let's, let's examine that real quick. I, I think that's a really interesting question you brought up, but I, th- I think we each need to be honest with Ben's question. So I got to put my cards on the table, which is I cheated early and I cheated hard. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. And I, part of this, I, I, I mean, there's no way I would have ever finished this game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> part of my reasoning was, you know, I'd played so much of it earlier and it was a game that had stumped me. And I was just like, I do not want that feeling of frustration. Now I want to return to Sam and Max and get to all the jokes and just enjoy this humor, uh, rather yeah. than, than feel that. But I think, my guess is that Sean cheated the least uh, based on just our conversations. And we um, finished, Jason and I finished it first. And so Sean was able to text us for hints and stuff like that. And that we gave lighter hints than probably the book gave is what I, we tried to do. Yeah. But we all so, looked at the book, I think, right? Uh, no, I used, um, I used a different site, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the one that got me, and I think it's Sean, it's in your notes too, but we, that we all texted each other about was the freaking binoculars. Because you, yeah. you, I texted the group, and I, th- I think either you guys didn't get back to me within two minutes, so I gave up on it. And uh, oh, I had to, I Googled it, and like way down on some thread from 2003, there was something that was like right click on the little control at the bottom of the binoculars to turn them left and right. And even then, I like it took me several minutes to, to understand what that dialogue even meant because it did not, that was not clear from the way that they explained it. And then when you text us a couple days later asking how to work the binoculars, I basically gave you a better explanation than what I was given. And it still took you a few minutes. It was just like, no matter how you explain it, it's a very unclear, uh, interface or whatever, or, or contraption to, to manage there. Yeah. The, the first time I came across it, I was, I was convinced there was a glitch with my game because yeah. so many times. Yeah. Totally. Like I, I clicked and it just started spinning and spinning yeah. and I couldn't for the life of me figure out how to slow it down. And then yeah. even when I was pressing escape, it wasn't like exiting out of the binoculars. Oh, yeah. So, cause you can't escape when it's spinning. You have to stop it for you oh. to get back to the, the restaurant. That's fun. And so like, I was literally having to like reload the game at my save point. Like I had saved before the binoculars and I was like, I can't get past this. I, I don't know how to stop this thing from spinning. Wow. And then it was finally, you're like, oh, you have to click on one side with the right click and then click on the other side. Yeah. Even even though I knew what to do, it was still like, even just the logistics of figuring out the clicks yeah. was so complicated. Yeah. yeah. Man, it was rough. Stuff. Let me jump back real quick to the yeah. point you made earlier, Sean, about um, user uh, design. Um, what was the term you used? Uh, offloading? Onboarding. Onboarding, sorry. Yeah. I should sidebar to the listener. I'm a web developer engineer, and so this is yeah. I kind of talk about that stuff all day. So, so yeah, yeah. It, it flows out into the it rest of my life. Tutorial for normal people. Yeah, well, it, no. means, it means on yeah, tutorial. 
And the, and the goal with web design is to make it as easy as possible, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want them to ever think about the process of doing it. You want them to just do it. Yeah. Um, and that's very clearly not the goal in an adventure game. Um, right. You want certain things to be easy and intuitive and other things you really don't want to be. Um, but where you're going for is that sweet spot where something somebody tries something for a long time and then finally gets it because there's that that little dopamine kick you get when you're like, I can put this on this? Oh, yeah. and you feel like a genius. So I think Sean probably got to experience that. He definitely got to experience it more than me. I did not yeah. feel like a genius at all during this game because every time I things got hard, I was like, oh, I'm cheating. Uh, so, Sean, what were some moments like that for you where you were, you figured something out and went, oh, I finally get it. This is going to – and you really felt proud of yourself. Yeah, I think uh, – what was the – the one that the other one that came to mind that was super hard for me to figure out. And I was still kind of figuring out how, how the puzzles worked because mm-hmm. I was still pretty new to like the format of the game and the gameplay. Um, just coming from like console games where – the gameplay is how the characters interact with you and stuff like that and mm. how they fight and all this stuff. But the gameplay here is the puzzle. And so that's what I kind of yeah. had to start wrapping my mind around. Um, and the first one that was like really challenging, but also really rewarding was the uh, Gator Golf. Because mm, I went yeah. to the Gator Golf and I just started, you just start hitting golf balls because they're there. Oh, you're like, oh, I picked up a, a basket of golf balls. I should probably hit them at the alligators to make them move so that we can rescue Max. And I was sitting there hitting golf balls for 10 minutes. I'm like, clearly I'm not doing something right. Um, And that's when I kind of started to realize like, oh, you know, it's not very, it's not like your, these locations are isolated to themselves. Like you pick up something in one location and you use it in the same location. It's like, no, all of these are going to be interconnected. You have to go back and get the bucket of fish. And those are what you actually hit. And when I figured out that, that was actually a really big, super rewarding, like, oh, that's actually pretty clever in terms of story and, and writing and stuff like that. Yeah, this definitely seemed like a, a, another way that's different than the previous LucasArts adventure games is that it seemed like almost every single thing that you can interact with, you use. Yeah. There's not a lot of like red herring type objects. If you have it in your inventory, you will use it at some point. Yeah. We'll reference it at some point or I mean I'm trying to think I don't have the inventory up right now but almost everything at the end when I had the totems or when I found the totems I could solve two of them with what was in my inventory just when I found them and Sean I should say that in the secret of monkey island there's a literal red herring that you pick up at one point <laughs> awesome uh, and it does get used it's not a, and you, uh, a useless isn't that object you feed it to funny. George Lucas I believe yeah yeah uh, true story that's the second time today that I've heard the term red herring so Wonderful. You might be a writer when. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I think I was trying to think of when in the game when I was 10 or whatever, when I stopped playing this, what puzzle I was in that I get like the furthest I got in the game, I guess. And I think it was the lights under the vortex, mm. which even this time took me way too long. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back, and I was like, oh, yeah, there's three colors or there's three lights. There's three doors right above them. Yeah. It makes sense, which I guess is the perfect kind of puzzle, right? After you do it, you're like, oh, duh. Like, I should have figured that out. You don't want to have the the realization at the end of like, what the hell? I never could have figured that out. I'm so glad I cheated, which you have occasionally. But I feel good. That was one of the ones I didn't cheat on. Oh, nice. Very cool. Oh, nice. Nice work. One nice. of the few. Very nice. Man. Uh, yeah, any other puzzles that you guys were either super frustrated with or just stood out to you at all? Uh, finding the book in Bumpusville was impossible. 
like realizing that you needed to get that one book, it needed to be like just yes. dangling off the shelf or something a little bit more to really pique my interest. There needed to be some hinting. Yeah. And it was a really small hit area. Like yeah. move your mouse too fast and you missed it <laughs> after you had figured out that yeah. you needed to make a little contraption. Yeah. Dude, but the animations when you find when you figure that stuff out, whether it's like the tooth on the dinosaur or the oh, book yeah, where because the book lands on Sam or on Max, yeah. I mean. And you read the entire um, book while he's lying <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. There's so many great in, in the same room as the Indiana Jones animation. Yeah, Sean, you were telling yeah. us about. I mean, that's just so many great, not only like Lucas Arts and Lucasfilm references, but just great animations that make figuring out those puzzles so much more rewarding than just like, oh, you figured it out. You you combine this and this. But like Sorry. reaching into the ball of twine with the magnet to get the ring and like all those things that just was it the magnet or was it, did you put the hand on it to get the ring? Magnet. You put it was both. Magnet. It was like, yeah. wasn't it three? And the cup was the other thing. It, it was. Yeah, the cup was a later one, but it was the it's magnet. Like the tar, the hand. It was the hand on the grabber with a magnet. That was that was ridiculous. Ridiculous. It was like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you have to do all three of these things and then click randomly on like the wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and meanwhile, the the John Muir papaya or whatever, or gourd or <laughs> whatever it was. Like I f- figured that out without even trying because I saw a picture of John Muir. Obviously I want to pick that up, put that in my inventory 10 minutes later, a half hour later, or whatever. I met a pumpkin patch and she's like, if you give me a picture of someone's face, I'll make a pumpkin out of their face. I was like, well, I have one picture in my inventory. Go make John yeah. Muir. That was nice. And that was nice. That was a totem. Boom. Done. Yeah. Boom. Easy. Yeah, or like uh, the so, the hair on the pillow or the gel on the pillow. Another oh, one that yeah, was just the, in yeah, my inventory. Stuff. So if you just give yeah. the elder all of the things in your inventory, a couple of them work at the end. Uh, so I've got a, a hypothesis that that just occurred to me. Um, Steve Purcell did a lot of the background works, uh, yeah. background work and a lot art, of the art yeah. for the previous um, LucasArts games we've been talking about. Yeah. Um, but for me, this game works so much better and the humor is so much better than any of those other games. And I love Day of the Tentacle. Yeah. Um, but the humor, I think, reaches its apex in this game. Um, and it's in those little animations uh, when you do something and something unexpected happens and the animation is just perfect. Yeah. And I'm thinking that one of the reasons for that is that this, these are Steve Purcell's characters. Um and that he is the one, you know, bringing life to them, and he is involved in every aspect of this. Um, and I'm wondering, what do you guys think about that? Do you did you see this real sense of a a creator, um, a creator's hand behind the little animations, the little jokes? Whereas if it had been handed off to someone else, it might not have worked in the same way. No, cool. cool. No, I'm just, I didn't know who wanted to go first. I mean, yeah, I could definitely see that. The the, the problem with that hypothesis is that the best Lucas Arts games are like that whether that's ron gilbert and well, day of the tentacle i guess or it would be um tim schaefer and monkey island or grim fandango I mean, there's so many games that are there's project leads for a reason and there are right. i mean they're small teams to begin with but the fact that they're small teams with a, a you know and this outspoken leader that wrote a lot of the jokes d- developed a, programmed a lot of the games in some cases um i definitely see that i think also the fact that this is an original ip for lucas arts yeah gives it a full background of hundreds of pages of comics from steve purcell that we know because we read them as kids that makes the game that much more rewarding just as people that like those characters a lot um but i wouldn't say that this game um i was gonna ask sean but this is the first lucas arts games he's played so never mind uh but lot- <laughs> yes yeah my answer is yes yes 100% agree with Jason. Yep. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, maybe you're maybe not answering your question, but it seemed like the, it was just as consistent as any Monkey Island or Day of the Tentacle game. 
No, you've caused me to think of it a different way, okay. um, which is that I'm thinking of it now on a continuum. And on the the far left is Indiana Jones, and on the far right is Sam and Max. And Fred, Monkey Fred Island. Uh, yeah, yeah. And Monkey Island is somewhere in between. And uh, I might so put Dig Tentacle. on the other side, like with Fate of Atlantis, further on. Sure, I, th- I think it's it's towards that side, but I wouldn't put it past it. Um, okay, but I think it suffers from the same reasons, which is it's somebody else's IP, and that person yeah. is not involved. I so you. somebody casts a vision, I got and you. then that person is not involved in making it. Whereas um, with Monkey oh, Island yeah, okay. and with Day of the Tentacle, it's the the IP is happening as you're making it. You know, it you're is the IP. It, yeah. There's nothing separate that that leads into it. Um, right. And with uh, you know Day of the Tentacle, less so because it's coming out of Maniac Mansion. Yeah. Um, but with Sam and Max, it's the IP and the creator are all matched and. It's, they are part of this game. It's as though uh, Lucas and Spielberg sat in and actually helped them make the game. Uh, yeah. Fate of Atlantis. You know, that would be a very different game. Yeah. And to me, it's hard because there's no falsification for that theory uh, where this game is awesome. And there's no unawesome version of this game where Steve Purcell wasn't involved. You know, or, I mean, it's Carl Popper. I like the idea of it. Uh, you mean Thomas Kuhn? What is Carl Popper? No, Carl Popper. But yeah, Kuhn works as well. Anyways. But, uh, Pop- Popper's the one with the falsification theory. Kuhn? Kuhn comes Kuhn. Um, because they're, because Steve Purcell worked at Lucas Arts. I think that's also a huge right. advantage that he had. He worked there for four or five years. I think 88 he was hired to work there on, on different art and stories. And so the fact that he was already, he was never a lead before, but the fact that he'd worked on so many games before on the artwork that he knew kind of, he'd gone through the paces. He knew kind of the overall ebbs and flows of, of game development at that small company and so by the time this came along, when he was able to just like not only take the lead, but take his characters and finally bring them to life in this game made it just extremely consistent. And I don't even know what the right word would be, but I mean, yes, is the answer to your question here, right? Where yes, is be my answer. Yes, is be my answer. Sean. Yeah. <laughs> we'll um, I, I really like the story. That was something that stood out to me um, as I finished the game. Um for how just ridiculous the plot is and the characters, um, the the story actually is pretty cohesive and has a pretty good plot. I mean, like it, it, everything about it is kind of ridiculous, but um, the humor works. I mean, it's self-referential. It's meta. Yeah. It's, I mean, they were breaking the fourth wall at different points. And, um, you could tell that, at least from what I could tell, it just seemed like this was a we're going to make an awesome story about some awesome characters and then create gameplay around that. It's kind of just the way it, it just seemed, um, it seemed like story was kind of at the the forefront of their mind. Um, and I, I actually, I mean, I found myself literally laughing out loud at different points in the game, like like the jokes were just that funny to me. Um, what was the, there was one that was, I was dying. Um, it was, oh, if laid out from end to end, the twine would stretch from here to the far side of Jupiter. Also, scientists predict that by 2053, the sheer weight of the ball will push Earth out of its orbit with a collision course <laughs> of the sun. Good thing my life expectancy is only six years. Way to take, way to take the short view, little buddy. Way to take the <laughs> short view, little buddy. <laughs> when he said that, I was, I was crying. Oh, just my like, gosh. Just, just really just good, funny, unexpected jokes. Their yeah. relationship is so great. Um, and it's set up in the comics really well. Um, but it's kind of amazing to me that it actually works out loud because some of the, yeah. so many of the comics work as visual gags yeah. and it's almost like 
are they really talking to each other right now? Because they're in the middle of fighting, you know, aliens or something stupid like that. But they're also wisecracking. And it just seems like time freezes while they start making jokes. But man, yeah, the story, they, they just put it together so well. Yeah, I think it, it's a good balance of, and I think we, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, it's a kid's game, essentially, that yeah. adults can appreciate. I mean, so that kind of that Pixar magic that is very, very hard to do well. But I mean, even when the, the alien mole man comes down and puts in the oh, stars, yeah. like, go to Bumpusville. Right. <laughs> and, which is like so obvious. You're like, okay, cool. Like the only obvious clue you get in the game. And, yeah. And Max goes, I think it means something. <laughs> it means something, Sam. <laughs> yeah. I think I had the realization of, oh, this is a good story a couple days ago when they, I hadn't found Bruno yet, but I'd found the party. I kind of found the whole setup to the, the ending. Hadn't found Bruno yet. And I had this inner conflict, which was just, what are we going to do when we find Bruno? Are we going to send him back? to the carnival. Cause we saw him at Bumpusville. We knew he was, you know, in chains and like in this like horrible condition and all that. We don't want to send him back to the carnival, but that's the only way we're going to get paid. And we have these like sadistic protagonists or whatever, seven max are, who knows? Um, uh, unpredictable protagonists at the very least who like the game for all I knew at that point could end with them sending him back to the circus, some sort of gag on top of that and them going back to their office and getting paid. And that's how the game ends. And it's funny and dark and all that would have been a fine game, but I like the fact that they, I think the, yeah, I, I realized this, that it was a good story when I was thinking about this at like 1am a couple nights ago, not playing the game. Yeah. Any art that can make you think about the art when you're not interacting with it or looking at it at the moment, um, is a pretty low bar, but I think that's impactful art at the very least, if not good. Um, but yeah, I thought that was very interesting. The fact that they didn't go that way makes it a much stronger story as well, that they didn't just say, Oh yeah. And they sold him back to the circus, the end. But they dealt with it on a, I guess, a, a higher moral level, which was cool to see. Also hot. Someone else, someone else. Talked. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> okay. You know what we can talk about is the animations. Yeah. I thought the animation was gorgeous. It wasn't quite um, dig level animations. Right. There weren't the computer graphics of that, which I think when, when we played the dig, those things stood out. They didn't fit the aesthetic of that kind of like 8-bit scum look to it, pixelated look. All the looks, I mean, everything from the vortex to the hot tub at the end, the people in the ice, all the crazy Max flying around the screen, smiling, jumping on beds, animations. It just fit the style really, really well. Nothing was ugly to the point of there was some original Monkey Island animations that couldn't really tell what they were doing. Um, Everything was clear and it just felt very in style to the yeah. full game and everything. Yeah, it was woven in so naturally, unlike yeah. The Dig, which now you're calling my attention to, because the cutscenes were such drastic shifts. Right. Um, the cutscenes here almost didn't feel like cutscenes. Now, mm. you weren't confused. You didn't think you were still supposed to be playing. Um, but part of it was the animations during gameplay were so effective Yeah. that when it would go to a cutscene, you didn't feel like it was something completely separate. But also, just the humor and the tone continued so uh, seamlessly. Yeah. Yeah, I was just amazed that I kept having to remind myself that this game was made in 1993 that, uh, I mean, I would have expected it to just look a lot more blocky and, um, yeah, the, I just thought the illustration just was amazing. And then just how smooth the animation was, was incredible. I mean, 
I was talking to somebody um, that I work with, who's another developer um, about this game today. And, you know, we, we work on websites that are, you know, when you loading up on your screen are like 200 megabytes and we're not, you know, just a couple images and stuff like that. And the fact that they could do so much with such a small amount of memory and space and yeah, um, just as a developer blew my mind, like that this was made that long ago and, and just looks so good. Um, so it was just kind of a technical feat in my mind, but um, yeah. yeah, I thought it looked awesome. But we're going to call you in a few months or years or decades when we make our first scum game, Jason and I are, by the way, and you will help us. You will be I the know. backbone. I need, I need to get into game development. I've never, everything yeah. I've kind of done has just been web related, but I need we're to. giving you a heads up. So when we come to you in six months, we're expecting so I can, you to have a I full start, working I knowledge. Learning now. Yeah. If you could just do that for free, that'd be great. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, any other thoughts, uh, musings on the gameplay? I musings, if you will. Uh, <laughs> scum jokes. We say all of our favorite quotes. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Might get might give me a second. You guys say yours, and then I'll. Okay. I'll... Mine with when they finally, you know, Bruno finally leaves. He goes off to have wedded bliss with the lady with the long neck. Uh, Max says. I'll miss the way he smelled like a bag of damp hamster shavings, just like grandpa. <laughs> just, like grandpa. <laughs> just like grandpa. Oh, I think my favorite was you always need a long piece of string in a game like this. <laughs> yeah. Because yep. there weren't a lot of meta comments, but the ones that were, were just in your face. Like you're playing a game, bro. I got one uh, very early on uh, Sam and Max uh, stop a robbery. It seems like almost accidentally just based on their love of violence. Um, at the at Bosco's uh, Guns, Liquor, and Baby Needs, I think is the name of the store. <laughs> um, and uh, there's a fight. It's all it all happens off screen, and you just hear audio. Uh, and so lots of fighting noises, yada yada yada. And then Sam and Max walk out the front of the store, and Max says, "I think that punk learned a valuable lesson." Sam, Sam says, "Me too, Max. I didn't know that the lower lip could stretch completely over the head. Amazing. <laughs> so good." That's so good. Well, all right. If that's uh, all we have, I think I have a little something for you. This game's pretty fun. You with frustration. When I was all done, I just had to question. What's the view? What's the song? I can't always tell. I just want to know. What game is Westy 12? Oh, man. This was... Maybe the closest any game has ever gotten to Westy 12 for me. What about you, Jay? Did I just spoil your beer? Part of me really wanted to put it in. Oh, Um, close, close, close. But I'm just going to say it now. I have never played Westy 12, and I've never drank a Westy 12. But I I think I know the game (laughs) that it is, and I think it's going to be Grim Fandango. Whoa! Uh, and And someday I'll play Grim Fandango, and someday I'll drink a Westy 12. But I think uh, I think that's gonna be my answer for it. We just got our guest for Grand Fandango a couple couple weeks ago. Oh, nice! The, the lovely Daniel Segla will be joining us for that later this year. I think wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. that'll be good. Uh, but yeah, that's not this game yet. So, who wants to go first? What's the beer? Well, I'm first in the um, Google Doc. Yeah, well, you uh, should probably go we first. Everything. Yeah, you can't so edit that. I'll, so, I'll go ahead. And it can't be changed. Uh, it's got mm. numbers, Ben. He's got numbers yeah, next to names. That's true. That's true. Uh, and mine is uh, my favorite beer of all time, which is Saison Dupont. Um, and so 
let me kind of defend the Saison DuPont and then connect it over to Sam and Max, which is probably my favorite game of all time. Um, okay, all right. But Saison DuPont is not. Let me be clear. It is not your favorite beer of all time. Saison DuPont is. Whoa! No, it's, it's my favorite beer of all time. Okay. Saison DuPont is my favorite beer of all time. It's my um it's a particular kind of favorite beer, which is it's my desert island beer. Oh, okay. Like if I could have a beer once, I might have a different choice. Sure. But a beer that I want to hang with, a beer that I want to drink for the rest of my life, it's Saison DuPont. I just think it's it's kind of perfect. It's weird and funky and unnatural, and yet it also is a classic and is influential on other beers. Um, and yet no one can ever kind of touch it. Uh, and that's my connection to Sam and Max yeah. is it's, it's not everybody's favorite, but, um, it's kind of a, a go-to mm-hmm. among game nerds, just like, you know, Saison DuPont is a go-to among beer nerds. Everyone kind of likes it. It's in a lot of top um, tens. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but for me, it rises out of the ranks and becomes the number one, uh, both of those and both are funky, both are weird. Uh, yeah. Both of them, you're, you're not sure how it got to be so perfect, but it just all worked out. Nice. All right. I think uh, the, I guess the symmetry or whatever for me, my Desert Island beer would be uh, Orval, which we've both mm-hmm. chosen separately yeah. for different beers. And that my game that yeah. I chose that for was Dark Forces. Yeah. Which I think similarly for both of us is just a game we can go back to a lot like Sam and Max. Very different game, obviously, but a, a game that is probably in our top three, if not number one for favorite games of all time. All right, so anyway, not Orval. My game, my beer, uh, I went with kind of the dark humor mixed with levity kind of constantly throughout this game. So I went with a dark beer mixed with light flavors, and it was a hard choice. I almost did Tart of Darkness from the brewery, which is mm-hmm. in my top 10, but I went instead with my all-time favorite sour beer, a sour brown ale, which Jason was the first sour beer I ever, I ever had. I had in Seattle five or six years ago. Jay, do you want to tell me what this is? It was New Belgium's La Folie. Just oh, a classic, a classic. Which is still one of my favorites. It's, it's a top a three one. beer for me, too, just like Orval. And I thought for yeah. sure I'd chosen it. Chosen it? I'd, I had been chosen it for done game, but I had not yep. chosen it for a game yet. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm choosing it for this game. It, I think it fits really well. Uh, just the, yeah, again, the darkness with the levity and just a, a game and a beer that I could always go back to no matter what time of day or morning. Um, yeah, just solid. Sean, what do you got for a beer? So, um, in the 10 years that I've been drinking beer, um, it wasn't probably until the last year or so where I actually really started appreciating beer, um, craft beer specifically. I thought I had, but I actually really didn't really know anything until I actually started learning about beer, like about a year ago. There's like layers, aren't there? There's first where you're like, Oh, I don't drink Budweiser. I only drink fat tire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Oh, wait, there's like a whole world of beers that I drink Hefeweizen oh, with orange slices in them. Exactly, well, just like mom used to make. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even when I started really liking craft beer, um, I started getting really into stouts and dark beers and stuff like that. Um, I couldn't get into sours. I didn't like yeah. sours. Um, I just for whatever reason, I don't know if I was just trying bad ones. Um, it was just weird to me having sour beer, if that makes sense. It was just hard yeah, for me to get over. Yeah, it's weird, man. I get it. Um, but it wasn't until maybe November or December I started actually really, really liking sours and getting really into them. They're still not my favorite beer, but um, I had one in December. Ben was there. It was introduced. Yeah, um, which is the beer that I picked for this game, which is Russian River Supplication. 
Dude, which so is good. a very, very drinkable sour beer that I absolutely loved. Um, it's probably so my favorite sour that I've had so far. Um, and the reason why I picked that one is because I never played this game before. And, you know, 31 years later, I'm playing it for the first time. Um, and it took me a while to really get into the game. And mm-hmm. uh, at first I was like, I hate this. I don't know what to do. I can't figure anything out. Um, and then as I started figuring out the gameplay, and getting through it and figuring out some of the puzzles by the end of it, I was like, this game's hilarious and it's super fun. And now that I understand how to play it and I appreciate it, um, it was actually super enjoyable. So but that was my beer. I like that reason. That's awesome. Um, I approve. <laughs> uh, you want to jump into your song then? Yeah. So my song was actually along the same lines. Um, my song, uh, I'll just throw it out there is, uh, the black parade by my chemical romance. When I was a young boy, my father took me into the city to see a marching band. So the reason why I picked My Chemical Romance is because I never got into them, even though I was totally into that type of music, yeah. the rock scene of the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, just didn't get into the music very much. Um, but when I first, when I heard that song, it was it actually just really grew on me and actually has like a really epic ending. Like it starts off kind of slow and builds up and is pretty awesome by the end of it. And it's kind of nice. just pumps you up. And uh, so it's kind of along the same lines with beer, but yeah, song I really came to appreciate uh, after I experienced it. Sweet. All right. Very good. Uh, my song is, it's an old school game. So I went with an old school song, early nineties as well. I think it was 91 this song came out, actually, so a little bit ahead of the game. But uh, I went with a song that, just like the game, wasn't ahead of its time necessarily, but it was kind of at the apex of its genre. Um, Yeah, I went with Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. I was literally writing into the Google Doc Pearl Jam. Oh, dude. But uh, yeah, so I think that this, this as much as I like Pearl Jam more than Nirvana, I love Dave Grohl more than anything in the world. No, I well, I do. But I think that this song was bigger than anything. Well, I know that this song was bigger than anything Pearl Jam ever did. Uh, and hey. this song was bigger than anything else Nirvana ever did. It goes, smells like Teen Spirit, everything Pearl Jam did, and then everything else Nirvana did. As far oh, okay, as just I'll take it. I'll pop, accept it. As far as just popularity, I think. How dare you? Sorry. You're, Sean's in Seattle. Tell us what it was like in 92, Sean. Guys, let's talk about <laughs> Mother Love Bone, all right? If we could, I just want to dig into some Temple of the Dog right now and uh, yep. just just yep. go through some B-sides. Okay, so, yeah, I think, I mean, just like this game, as much as this is the most one of the most overplayed songs in my lifetime, uh, it might be the number one, especially for the music I've listened to. It's just a song that when I go back to it every couple of years, it's just it's still a great song. I mean, it's it's not tub thumping where it was like this annoying song at the time and was overplayed. And every time it's just comical hearing it. Uh, thank you, Chumbawamba, for all of the art that you've delivered to us. But it just holds up. It's just a kick ass song with a sweet solo and some great riffs and some awesome lyrics that no one understands. And the video is iconic. And just like the game, it's just a game that I think of. By the way, it has 518 million views on YouTube. Oh wow. my gosh. Chumbawamba? No. Yeah. Oh, how many does Chumbawamba have? Oh my god. 119 gosh. million. This is the first and the last time Chumbawamba's ever been mentioned in any podcast. 20 million. Wow. Not even close. That feels 518 right. that feels million. Right. <laughs> it feels wrong too. 
Anyway, my point is the song, good. The game, good. Jason, what's your song? Well, I'm somehow going to get through mine without uh, besmirching the good name of Australia's own Chumbawamba. Wow. <laughs> um, I said comical. I didn't smirch it. <laughs> I didn't smirch it. Almost besmirch. Um, and so my game, again, I just kind of went with the, the vibe of it. Um, and so, uh, mine is a, a, another song that I loved growing up, uh, particularly in high school and college. Um, but it's, uh, bare naked ladies. If I had a million dollars. So there's so many gags in this song. It's, it's got that good folksy feel that feels kind of nostalgic. Um, and it's just two guys having a lot of fun, but between the, uh, the verses and choruses and whatnot, they just start making really stupid jokes. Um, but my favorite is when it gets worked into the song itself. They have pre-wrapped sausages, but they don't have pre-wrapped bacon. Yeah. Can you blame them? Yeah. 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 I can blame them. Um, early on, they say if I had a million dollars, uh, I'd buy, (laughs) I'd buy you a fur coat. But not, not a, a real, real fur coat. coat. That's, That's cruel. cruel. <laughs> and then later when they come back to it, if I had a million dollars, I'd buy you a green dress, but not a real green dress. That's cruel. Um, <laughs> so good. Which is just so nonsensical, and I love it I so much. I bet you always wanted a monkey. All the fanciest Dijon ketchups. Oh, man. So good. Uh, what does Max say? If I ever get this rich, I want you to shoot me. <laughs> I want you to kill me. Yes. 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 Take pleasure. I take pleasure in that. Yeah. So yeah, that's the connection. Is it's it's nostalgic, it's goofy, it's funny. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but it also um, is, is in its own way kind of clever. Yeah, definitely. All right, any parting thoughts, Sean? Anything you have to say to the people about LucasArts games or Sam and Max? Anything? Uh, this was definitely a fun game. Uh, big learning curve, but once you can kind of, if you can get past the the initial like, what the heck do I do here? Um, yeah. It's it's super fun if you can kind of just stop and and. Because at the beginning of it, I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just trying to figure out how to play the game. But once you get past that, you can actually appreciate the jokes and kind of what's going on with the characters and stuff. Yeah, nice. Do you, do you want to play another adventure game? Is that in? in I do now. I, now I want to check out this Day of the Tentacle that you guys have been ranting and raving about. Yeah, that was my thought. Is the the next go to is Day of the Tentacle? But I have another option for you, and this is as we shift out of our interview with you and our last thoughts, and time to announce our next game. Uh, and maybe reach out and say, hey, maybe you can play this along with us uh, and just talk about it as we do. So, uh, Ben, are you prepared for this? I'm so prepared, man. You have no idea. So our next game <laughs> is, drumroll, Thimbleweed Park. Woo! Fanfare. Uh, and we're excited about this because this is a total 8-bit style, scum style adventure game from the guys who created Maniac Mansion uh, and Day of the Tentacle. The people who did just the best stuff ever, and it came out last week. Yeah, it came out, what, eight days ago or whatever? Yeah, so we will be playing this in early April. This will be our May game, and yeah, we'll we'll have it done pretty quickly. So if you want to play it along with us, uh, feel free to comment on the page on our website, tweet us, text us, whatever, uh, for hints or just for like, oh my gosh, this part's hilarious, or this is difficult, or I hate this game so much, why did you make me play it? Anything. Feel free to reach out because we'll be playing it starting tomorrow. I know I am. Yeah, and so Ben's phone number is... All right. Well, thanks again for joining us. You guys can catch us uh, on our website at menoflowmoralfiber.com. Be sure to check out 
fomf.com to see what our friends are up to, which I don't think they've updated in a couple weeks, which, by the way, is up to yeah, us as well. Get we on can, it, guys. We can post there, too. But yeah, check that oh, out. All right. uh, also, check out our Patreon, which we just posted a couple weeks ago. I believe it's patreon.com slash M-O-L-M-F. We'll also link to it from our website. We've tweeted it out, Instagram, Facebooked it out. You can, if you follow us, you've probably seen us uh, kind of schlepping for our Patreon. So go ahead and check that out. Even if you don't want to support us, we put a funny video up there uh, circa kind of the aesthetic of 1991 VHS tapes. So kind of a Stranger Things vibe there. Uh, so yeah, check that out if you would. Uh, anything else we have from the game? Uh, I got nothing else. Oh, real quick. Uh, thank you to all of our patrons on Patreon. Uh, just a heads up, uh, that we will start rewarding you with those rewards, whether that's reading whatever you want us to read on the podcast, which we've actually agreed to do, uh, or that might be, uh, giving you the podcast a week before we actually publish it. We will give you that. Uh, so, uh, whatever the reward you send up for, whether it's a dollar a month, $40 a month, five bucks a month, whatever it is, uh, we'll start that next month. So thanks again to all of our patrons. Uh, and I think that's it. Sean, uh, thanks so much for joining us, man. Hey, thanks for having me. This was a pleasure. Yeah. Anytime we'll have to have you on again sometime, maybe next year talking about another game. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. All right. As always, I've been Ben. I will be Jason. And I'm still a mighty pirate. Now you've done it. You've broken Sam's spirit with your stupid attempts to pick up that silly object. In fact, if I didn't find his pitiful sobbing so amusing, I'd come out and rip your limbs off. Just ignore them, Sam. Maybe they'll go away. I do remember just rolling laughing, being like eight years old, listening to that, and just us clicking it again and again, having Sam pick up things or interact with things, just to hear him say that whole thing again. And it's still just as It's so good. Oh, all right. Thanks again, everybody. See you next month. Later. Later.